You are now listening to the Blue Record Podcast. Yeah. Check it. Yeah. We in this together. A spell when night is a warrior fighting for justice. We can never be silent, so yeah, we causing a ruckus. Lift our voices up to bring injustice down. Speaking truth to power. We loving the sound, undaunted by the fight, love is all we need. It's time to clear out the air so we all can breathe. Ain't no stopping us, we stick together. This bond is gonna last forever, marching every day until we free. That's our buried treasure. Hey everyone, my name is Hollis and I'm one of your hosts. My name is Kayla and I too serve as a host. And today we have a special guest on the podcast. Princess, do you want to introduce yourself? So, hi everyone. My name is Princess Sampson. I am a rising junior at Spelman College, majoring in computer science. And I'm really excited to, to delve into, you know, everything about Black girls and technology and the internet today. Yes. So today our topic is Black girls in digital spaces. And there's a lot to unpack there in recent times. But before we start, I just wanted to check in on you all. How are you all doing? Well, I'm feeling good, especially with all things considering. I've been at a few protests lately. So I feel Mm -hmm. my spirit is rejuvenated being surrounded by so many people who are, you know, doing the work that needs to happen so that there is change. And even the people who aren't there physically, just knowing that I'm surrounded in a community that's about the work and doing justice work. So Mm -hmm. that's been uplifting my spirits lately. I totally agree with you. I went to a protest the other day that was very peaceful and also predominantly populated by white people, (laughs) which in a strange way, was a positive feeling because I just remember going a couple years ago and that was not the case. And so I think it's interesting to sort of see, I don't know, things are changing and things are happening. Whether those are good or bad, we'll get into it. How are you doing, Princess? I'm doing well. I think definitely at the beginning of the um, of like the concentrated protesting and just all of the, the media frenzy and the anti-Blackness like in the discourse, that was really stressful at first. But kind of now watching watching people um, educate themselves, having people in all of my different communities, um, both my local ones, ones I know through my work, having them reach out to mm-hmm. me, you know, all races, that's been uplifting. And also, you know, exercise, like you all have mentioned, exercising um, my civic rights and my civic duties. I voted on Friday, um, stood in line for four hours. Hey, hey. So that was that was an experience, oh, but I was glad that I was able to do it. And then, of course, the protests, the peaceful protests, those those have also been just really invigorating and, and healing spaces to exist in, too. Definitely. And like you mentioned earlier, we're talking about Black girls in digital spaces today. And that's going to be the first kickoff episode of our summer series. Here at The Blue Record, we wanted to kick off the summer with a series, a series theme that keeps us focused, but also allows us to focus on something that's really important to us. And that is Black girls in digital spaces. And 
we have Princess here. We also have so many other people who will be joining us in the summer series to just talk about the different aspects of this theme, because there are so many things we can do to unpack the digital space and its impact on Black girls and Black girlhood. Definitely. And I'm really excited to get into this topic. I think even when we were sort of conceptualizing this episode, so much has happened in such a short period of time. So I think we'll have a lot of really awesome and like rich discussion. So to talk a little bit about sort of what brought this idea on for our summer series, we were really thinking about the fact that while we're on stay at home orders, you know, our lives have been almost entirely shifted to the digital space, whether it be organizing efforts in which a lot of like education and protests are organized via the internet. Our school has been online. We have social events. I don't know how many Zoom birthday parties you all have been to, but I've been to a lot. And so thinking about that, when we have this question of how we engage online, seeing as it's so much of our new reality, we think it's really important to consider the unique experiences of how Black people and Black girls specifically are experiencing the digital space. And so digital space is a term that I'm using a lot. So just to define it, a digital space is just a space that's been created by the onset of the internet. So the clearest example in our lives would probably be social media, Facebook, Twitter, et cetera, et cetera. But large websites and other platforms hosted online count as well. So, you know, think Netflix, online stores, which we're all shopping at and different online spaces like that. And so with those examples outlined, there are a whole host of phenomenons that have been happening online recently. When we were first thinking about this episode, we were talking about the issue of Zoom bombing, which has been happening a lot in people's educational spaces. Do you all know what Zoom bombing is? Does someone want to explain um, it? Yeah. So, so Zoom bombing is kind of when it's, it's kind of an exploitation of the security on a Zoom video call. So now, because of like mm -hmm. Zoom bombing occurring, now in this in the past few weeks, it's become normalized to put a password on your meeting to make sure that you have a lobby where you kind of moderate who's let in. But there were even instances of Zoom bombing, which is really just kind of bad behavior um, in a in a Zoom mm -hmm. space. Um, like the, the general idea is that it's someone external coming into the space, like conferences have been interrupted. Um, the the classes, right. especially of African-American faculty um, at large white institutions um, and African studies departments and women's studies departments. But there have also been instances that count as Zoom bombing of, of online classes where you have, you know, um, children being insensitive with, with racial slurs and harassment. So it, it really defines just unexpected bad behavior in a Zoom call, whether that person gets access to it when they're not supposed to have it or whether that person is part of the group and they act out and kind of inflict um, their negative behavior on everybody else. Definitely. So there have been a lot of instances, like Princess just explained for us and some other thing I mentioned at the top of the episode, in which, like in everything else, you know, our identities are really central to our digital experiences, even in a quote-unquote great equalizer like the internet. So we sort of broke up this conversation into a couple sections. And the first thing that we want to talk about as sort of the first prong of this issue is thinking about the experiences of Black women in tech, since tech and technology companies, et cetera, 
are where the creation of digital spaces is happening, we think it's really important to think about what's happening in those spaces to the creators and who comprises those rooms where all these technologies that we're using are being made. So to kick off this section, we already introduced Princess, but can you talk about um, Princess, your role on the podcast? Um, so again, my name is Princess. I'm majoring in computer science at Spelman. I was actually, um, firstly, like my first exposure to tech was through my parents. Um, my parents are both entrepreneurs. Um, and in angel investors and my father was actually um one of the one of the first black tech entrepreneurs to to raise a significant amount of venture capital funding um over 20 years ago here in atlanta um so that's like the basis of my background and then i kind of but um both mm -hmm. my parents are not technical um they kind of created an environment where i was exposed to computer science but it was it was something that i kind of got into on my own through blogging and being creative and then i decided to um major in it in college after having some really um in-depth like coding experiences in high school and now um, I'm a rising junior and I'm actually completing my second internship with Amazon. I did my first one last year as a rising sophomore after my freshman year. And that's kind of a little bit of my background um, in connection with tech. So what is some of the work that you've done? So software engineering work. So, you know, actually spending um, my days um, shadowing like software developers who work at a large company at Amazon, um, attending meetings, um, actually writing code to help grow the code base and actually assist with um, the products, with the technological, with the technological product. Cool. So we're definitely going to get into more in depth about what your experiences have been in the tech space, because I think it's really important to think about the student experience as we sort of enter these new fields and new careers. But I also wanted to bring in some of the background research for this episode in which we talked to Cameron Boyd, who just graduated from Spelman in class of 2020. Shout out to all of them. And she was a computer science major and she's beginning work with um, Facebook as a software engineer, which she's interned at for a couple summers while she was an undergrad. And so, Princess, I really want to ask if some of these points that she raised with us, like, resonate with you. So a couple things that Cameron talked about were imposter syndrome in the workplace and what it felt like really being one of very few people of color in her office, in her cohort. She talked about her experience as a computer science major at Spelman, seeing as while computer science has some really amazing students, it doesn't always offer the most robust programming. And sometimes she felt like that was a hindrance during her intern experiences in the summer. And she had to do a lot of mm. learning herself. And then lastly, something that she talked about was losing your voice in tech roles and sort of what it means to be a seemingly like a very small piece of a very large puzzle, which is these sort of digital spaces mm. that we occupy. Um, I don't want to start by just articulating that, like, you know, my um, opinions and my articulation of my experiences here as a Black person in tech, um, even though I may have had these experiences at certain companies, like these are my own opinions. Um, I just want to start by being clear with that. Um, but definitely mm -hmm. everything that you summarized about, about Cameron's experience. I know Cameron, um, 
as well as um, her friend Cameron and Lonnie. They're known as they just they all just graduated in CS um, and did incredible work when they were at school. They started the programming team. They were known mm -hmm. as LC squared. So that group of CS students, I definitely look up to them and kind of see them as mentors in the field when there are so few women who look like us in it. Um, but definitely just the the experience of being, you know, the only one with your experience going into these spaces, um, like engineering, software engineering in the tech world, especially is disproportionately um, white in Asian in male just at baseline. Um, so mm -hmm. even going to the space and being a woman um, and being a person of color complicates, being a black person complicates things. But on top of that, um, being from the South, because a lot of these companies are headquartered on the West Coast, being attend, being someone mm -hmm. um, from a historically black school um, that oftentimes people haven't heard of, you know, you could, people have heard of, you know, larger schools, um, UCs, IVs, they kind of recognize those brand names, those, um, and those large white brand name schools. But when it comes to HBCUs, um, you definitely, you definitely have to explain a lot of yourself as you navigate those spaces and it can be draining. Luckily for me, mm -hmm. I had, I had very supportive teams um, and very, and, had have and have this summer like very supportive teams very engaging mentors who even though i may not have been what they expected they just kind of rolled with it and kind of gave me credit where credit where credit was due um yeah definitely mm -hmm. yeah i really wonder if you could touch on that i'm a sociology and anthropology major and Kayla, i'm an international studies major? major yeah so i mean we're <laughs> not the tech girls so i'm really curious to hear about what your experience so far has been. Also, I know plenty of people in tech who like have your exact degrees. Like, ha yeah, um, being a CS major is mm -hmm. not like a prerequisite for being in tech and being successful, um, definitely. But right. in terms of um, the caveats, like I said, like I, like I spoke to, when you talk about, um, when you talk about, you know, having to explain HBCUs to people who definitely have never heard of them, if maybe they, you know, immigrated from their home country and then took up residence in a very white American city and kind of socialized with either mostly people who also came over from their own from their home country or white people, um, they may not have just any exposure to certain aspects of Black culture and history, so they just don't know. Um, mm -hmm. And then the caveat of like the experience of studying at HBC. HBC for engineering, having a department where everybody looks like you, where everybody is rooting for you, is um, definitely it's definitely like a plus, especially when you go out into the world and when you go out into higher degrees. Like nobody, nearly nobody looks like you. Um, having that network of people in your major who have your experience is just so invaluable. Um, but you know, as is when you talk about larger discussions of studying HBCUs, where it's like there are these incredible spaces, but there are also research resource constraints. I think that the CS departments at HBCUs feel that in very unique ways um, related to to kind of balancing. How do you balance, you know, rigor and exposure and industry readiness with the fact that you're teaching mm -hmm. the population that is the most underexposed in the industry? Like if there's there's all those all those questions yeah, and caveats that's a great point. come into play when you're talking about the departments and the curriculum and all of those different things. Um, but regardless, you, you definitely 
for me, I had a lot of experience coming into school and I saw that that served me well going to the yeah. industry. Um, yeah, there's always, mm -hmm. you definitely, being at a liberal arts school and studying engineering, you definitely have to do your own thing on the side to like, you know, make sure you're staying where you need to be since your whole curriculum and all of your course load is not dedicated just to engineering or just to CS. So according to the National Center for Women and in Information Technology Study, women of color made up only about 11% of the computing and mathematical workforce in 2019, which is a very broad category and a very low number in reference to it. And Black women specifically only comprise about 3% of that field. So when you hear that figure, what does that make you all feel? I think when I think about that number, I think about access and I think about opportunity. And there's always this, first and foremost, we're thinking about two things. We're thinking about gender and we're thinking about race. And then we can also add in class and we can also add in the other identity markers. But when you hear these numbers, Definitely. you think about what happens in elementary and middle school. That's a big turning point for a lot of young Black girls and their relationship with math. I remember I was great in math. Um, shout out to little Kayla because she was doing it. I understood math. My father is actually, <laughs> he was a math minor in college. So working with him, I was, we were brilliant. But when I got to eighth grade mm -hmm. and I had this teacher, and I'm not going to name him, but I, I know his name. I'll never forget his name. He made me feel like I didn't know what I was doing. And this was a white man. And he invalidated mm -hmm. my effort. Mm -hmm. And he made me uncomfortable with math. And he made me doubt myself. And that's when my relationship with math turned bad. Mm -hmm. And I see that narrative as something that's yeah. similar with a lot of people, a lot of Black women, a lot of um, young Black children in general, and their relationship with math and STEM. But then there are some who are fortunate enough to push past those barriers. Me, I say I'm a stick with humanities. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. but still it's Relatable an unfortunate content. case because there are so many of us who have the capacity and who are brilliant and who can do that math and STEM work, but we are not brought up in an environment that's encouraging us and reaffirms our intellect and reaffirms that you have it, you have it down, you got it. So when that happens, those numbers continue to dwindle with people, with young Black people who have a relationship with math and STEM. Mm -hmm. You're speaking to, to so many, Definitely. like the anecdote you gave speaks to so many people's experiences when it comes to um, being Black and, you know, having confidence in science and math, like that foundational confidence that leads you to either be routed into computer science classes once you reach the later years of high school, or to be open to the idea of studying that once you do reach college. Like having having Black women only be 3% of the workforce, you know, with companies like Google, whose slogan is build for everyone, it kind of plays into, you know, um, and, right. and really, and they all have, you know, similar, similar slogans, principles, um, internal and external, you know, marketing things that also guide their work that are buy into the idea of building 
products for everyone, but it's kind of like, how can you build for everyone when you're leaving out such a large chunk of experience? Like, especially when you think about the history of computing, um, I'm sure we've all seen hidden figures and how, you know, computing was considered typist work, even though the women who did it, who were often Black women, were heavily educated in, in brilliant mathematicians and brilliant scientists because it was um, because it was gendered and considered for women. It was only later that, you know, once it was realized that it was valuable work, women got pushed out of the field and then men took over and, you know, got paid better and all those different factors. Um, I talked about the identity marker aspect, but I didn't mention about access. Um, I can only speak to my experience in high school. Well, I mean, for me, my school went from eighth grade to 12th grade, but we were a performing arts school. And I think the best part about Spelman is that mm -hmm. we keep pushing the STEAM aspect and we have students who do such an awesome job of pushing that. We have people like Tulani Vereen who look at the intersection of art and technology. And unfortunately, the school I attended, we weren't there yet um, in thinking about that connection. So I didn't have coding classes in mm. high school. I know some students have that now in the public education system. Mm -hmm. But just to imagine if I would have learned coding, I think that would have strengthened my understanding. And it, re it may have reaffirmed my love for math, because right. they're both in conversation, but it would have been different. Mm -hmm. But then again, I attended a <laughs> magnet art school. And I don't know if coding is taught around Georgia. But you know, just to think that could easily be a thing. I know in my comp side class of Spelman, like, our intro to coding in Python was a cute thing called Tinker, and it's for children. And that's so cool. And I kind of felt embarrassed because I was just like, okay, so this is for four-year-olds, and here I am at my grown age. <laughs> I look <laughs> at my grown age, well. and you're telling me my baby cousin can figure this out? Oh, I'm going to have to figure it out. Who have had me help them out with that turtle assignment. I, I can't even tell you. Um, but Kayla, what you were speaking to was actually reminding me, I don't remember if this was in 2017 or 2018, but only about 70 Black girls in the whole country took the AP computer science test in either, in either 2017 or 2018, which, which wow. for me just captures so much of what's happening for, for Black girls um, at the high school level and going into college relating to tech. Like that, that statistic captures it all even more than the three percent for me absolutely and i think it's really important to hear the experiences of women that are in these spaces because even in a world where tech companies they're colorful they're fun they brand themselves as very diverse you know it's at least when i imagine what a tech office looks like i'm imagining walking into a Silicon Valley office with a lot That's of young white men in like fleece jackets. <laughs> <laughs> so glad I'm on target with that one. But that's not just, not necessarily intimidating, but really discouraging, especially when someone is already, which a lot of black girls do have to overcome a lot of mm. obstacles to even get into these spaces. And so I think it's really important to hear both of you all side of that story about why this is such an important conversation. And I also really wonder, because we do have 
thankfully, a computer science program at all at Spelman that I hope continues to develop and become more robust, but also students that are interested in going into tech positions, because what we know is that, you know, who you are and your identity informs your work and informs the code and all of these different things that we can definitely talk about. But Princess, what is your advice for Spelman students that do want to go into tech space? I think that the piece of advice um, that sticks with me very deeply is, you know, I was I was actually um, blessed enough when I stayed in Seattle for my first internship um, to actually have um, a Black roommate who also stayed at Amazon, um, who also interned at Amazon that summer. Shout out to mm. Maya Jimenez. Um, she goes to UF. Um, and I met her parents, you know, <laughs> moving into our apartment. And something that her father said was, you know, um, show them who you are. And like that, that statement is so simple. But I think that it crops up in everything, like whether you're interviewing, whether you're entering the space, like prepare, be ready, do your best, but also be yourself and then show, show them who you are. Like that, mm. that's, that really is the essence of all the advice that I could give to a Black woman trying to navigate tech. And also just have a really strong network and have people who can be honest and people who can validate your experiences. Mm-hmm. How do you think that phrase, I'm just getting really curious now, this is off script, but how do you think that phrase has manifested in how you've navigated your intern um, experience? I was, you know, I, I did my best to bring the best of myself to my projects. I I didn't shrink my, my sense of humor or my energy or my, the way that I dressed, you know, I'm a very colorful dresser. Like I didn't, I didn't dim any of that light going into this, to, into that space. And it can be really easy as a black woman to feel that you have to. Um, and again, like I had a team that even though they weren't expecting me, they rolled with it and everybody has individual experiences and you should always do what will help you get to the next place and help you say stay, stay safe. But just, yeah, just start off with being, start off with being yourself because I think that looking back, that's what's going to make you proud of how you handled yourself, regardless of what other people did or said. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Thank you for that. Um, so thinking about the impacts of this lack of diversity that we've highlighted in digital and tech organizations, how do you think, and you can take a second to reflect on the question, but how do you all think you've seen the lack of diversity in tech? What's happening now with some social media apps like Instagram, like TikTok, and how and even like some stores and how they're responding to um the movement of hashtag black lives matter it's very tasteless it's very whitewashed mm -hmm. and it shows that you didn't run this through um other people it's telling me that whoever you had look at this and approve it because to my understanding when it comes to advertising usually there's a team of people who you know, get it proofed by another team of people. So now it's just making me wonder who's on this team. And of course, <laughs> that makes me go, you know, do my yeah. research. And if you look at some of the teams for Fashion Nova or Pretty Little Thing, 
or for different restaurants and different outlets that are using social media to advertise and quote unquote, stand in solidarity with hashtag Black Lives Matter, their statements are anything but standing in solidarity. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? And it's unfortunate because mm -hmm. these platforms have so many people on it. There, there are activists on these platforms. There are young people on these platforms. Yet these platforms and these shopping sites and these different websites don't have people like behind the scenes who are people of color. And let me be specific, who are black people? Let me just make that clear. Mm -hmm. Who can help mm -hmm. with the creative content to make sure that it is reflective and it's thoughtful and it's truly in conversation what is happening today. Mm -hmm. So that's, those are my thoughts. And I'm kind of concerned because if you think about the black dollar and how trillions of dollars um, go into the economy from the black community, our money is going to places like TikTok and to some restaurants and to some businesses that are not in conversation with hashtag black lives matter. And you could see it through the advertising and the marketing. Mm -hmm. And that leads to like the TikTok scandal with the Black Lives Matter content. And also how TikTok has allowed for some creators to post content that is racist and, and you know, just despicable mm -hmm. and egregious, especially with what we are facing in this country right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like precisely. I absolutely everything that you said enough, Kayla. Um, and and responding to your question, Hollis, too, like when we think about when I think about the lack, how the lack of diversity impacts the, you know, the products that are put out, the, the digital spaces that are created, um, I kind of bring the work of Sophia Noble and Dr. Sophia Noble and Dr. Ruha Benjamin um, into conversation. And these are these are academic. Mm -hmm. Dr. Noble is at um a UC school, um, I believe Stanford, and then Dr. Benjamin is at Princeton. They both have these, you know, incredible bodies of work. Um, also, Timnit Hebrutu, um, who's a Stanford alum, um, and she went to, and she's at Google Research now. But all of their work kind of revolves around this idea of algorithmic bias and how um, when you're designing systems that don't account for the experiences and humanity of Black lives and Black images and, you know, Black, Black, um, just anything about Black people, you kind of create systems that penalize them. Like, for example, a few, a few years ago, Google rolled out a facial recognition algorithm, um, but the, 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 the data set of human faces that they use to teach that algorithm to recognize faces didn't include any Black people in it. So when it rolled out and was released, Black people's family photos mm -hmm. and wedding pictures and graduation photos were getting identified as gorillas. Like, that type of, you know, egregious, you know, garbage in, garbage Ooh. out result from not having diversity. So having a lack of diversity affects what products are built, how they're built, um, how people who use them are affected. Like, for example, Twitter. For, for years and years, um, Black women have faced just terrifying levels of hate speech and bullying 
and Twitter, um, the the tactics that are kind of now common knowledge in terms of, you know, like radical online behavior um, from like the alt-right community and that level of harassment and doxing and dogpiling, all of those things were things that were happening to Black women, um, Black queer women, Black trans women on Twitter for years before um, it kind of entered like you know it kind of until it before it entered like the larger lexicon of like things that happen on twitter so that you have censorship black people's work it gets taken work and posts get taken down um when they you know say things that are true about our experiences as black people like just as we kind of just as you can get penalized in real world spaces for you know speaking truth to power when it comes to blackness the same thing can happen to you in digital space absolutely and i think that it's really important circling back to your mention of like censorship thinking about the fact that social media has been such an important tool um for better and for worse as all things for activists and organizers to talk about information that doesn't necessarily get talked about in spaces of quote unquote, you know, formal education and how those people are often silent. So thinking about if that's happening to large creators with huge followings, imagine all of the information that's getting silenced from people with smaller platforms that are organizing in local communities and how, Mm -hmm. how dangerous and like detrimental that is. So (laughs) shout out to Facebook for that. Name names. Um, But And absolutely Twitter. Um, I also just wanted to bring up, I was thinking about um, what you were, the examples you were citing, Princess, the fact that Twitter very recently, you know, despite the fact that Donald Trump (laughs) for years and months and millenniums, apparently, has been violating the rules. Um, While if I did that, you know, my tweets would be taken down quickly, but consistently rare doesn't ever get taken down and just for the first time got Mm -hmm. flagged for inciting violence online you know it's important to think about the power dynamics that these tech companies are inflating and maintaining Mm -hmm. and those detrimental effects so thank you to both of you for talking about those (laughs) because there's there's just so much happening um but i also want to take a couple minutes to talk about you know, the users of digital space and content creators. So not just who is making the platforms that we're using, but all of the people, particularly Black people and Black girls that are creating content online. Because, you know, social media is, or the digital space is, including social media, free. And it's in a lot of ways revolutionized Black women's access to public platforms without the gatekeeping that comes with some other platforms, whether it be the university, a specific job or office culture. Absolutely. And so I wanted to um, just get you all's thoughts. Like there are a lot of media platforms that thrive on the engagement of black users, but our work and our content isn't always protected or it's policed. And is that something that you all, I don't know how I'm actually going to word this question. Yeah. Well, Princess, since you know what she's getting at, do you think you can articulate for us and the listeners what Hollis is alluding to? I think you're you're alluding to how how um definitely um digital spaces and social media, which are quote unquote free. I mean, you know, 
you still have, you know, to pay for your access to the internet. And then, you know, as you navigate these sites, all of your ad data is being aggregated. And, Absolutely. you know, that's kind of the price of using these free platforms. But like all of that aside, what you're articulating is kind of the way that anyone can make account an account on YouTube or Twitter or Medium and kind of start sharing their work and their thoughts and have it go viral and have people all over the world engage with it. Like... Black people and Black women especially have always struggled and still struggle to kind of have, you know, the the access that we deserve in, in publishing, in academia, in the film world, um, just everywhere, everything, um, as business owners and kind of having access to online spaces where we can connect with people who support our work and support our passion, our creativity. Um, and people who are looking for alternative modes of, of living in beauty um, within our work can find that online. We're, we don't just have to turn on the TV to see, you know, one or two Black people in the background of a comedy show. We can go on YouTube and, you know, actually watch Issa Rae's YouTube series. And, you know, Issa Rae actually, Issa Rae is an incredible example of that because she actually turned a career on YouTube, which... Um, if you notice, even even most of her her older series has about five hundred thousand. It's about you know awkward black girl that YouTube show that she had back in the day is about eight years old now, um, and she still has about five hundred thousand views per episode, which is incredible for a black creator. But you know, in the scope of every random white YouTuber you've ever heard of having mm -hmm. multi millions of views on a video with no substance you know, it's definitely something to think about. But when you think about Issa Rae and how she pivoted being someone who was a creative online, who wanted to find, who wanted to create representations of Black people who are quote-unquote awkward, um, she, now, you know, she has an HBO show. She's a producer. So she kind of used the digital space to kind of insert herself into the TV world and the film world. And now she's having an incredible incredibly impactful career and not just insert herself she also inserted her narrative and the narratives of other creators mm -hmm. i think the best part about insecure and in all of her projects she brings on different Absolutely. creators um there's actually someone who attended my high school young baby tate okay. she is on the soundtrack for season four of insecure mm. if you think about people who are the like it's not just Issa Rae who directs every episode and of her a whole host of creatives and business owners and she she's you know she she held open the door and now all these other black people have these livelihoods that have been revolutionized by her having that platform to hire them and I think that's an, that's a significant point about black creators unlike some unlike our counterparts in the digital space we ensure that the door is open and we ensure that we bring people through the door. And I'm saying we, like I am a creator, but you know, I think of our podcast, something like that as well, because we too are creators here. So just knowing that we're making sure that there are connections readily mm -hmm. available to ensure that someone has access to what they need to, you know, go where they need to go. It's important. And you know, like you guys were saying, Issa Rae is definitely that role model and that point person to think about because she played a pivotal role in reshaping the digital space. Definitely. And as you all already explained beautifully, 
Um, Easter Ray is a really great example of what, you know, the digital space can do for people. But simultaneously, and you spoke to this a little bit, talking about, you know, the rights we give up online and various other points, Princess. You know, what are some of the dangers that you all see? Some Black girls who are like the TikTok dancers, they don't get the credit they deserve. I don't remember the song, but it's it's like Mm -hmm. what? It's Renegade. Yes! There we go. Renegade? <laughs> yeah. And people And honestly, giving, every other song. So um, no that young black girl, her credit, but everyone around the world was doing the dance, even celebrities. And I found it interesting how TikTok kept pushing the promotion of white creators who were doing the dance other than her. So the creator wasn't the original creator of the Renegade dance, wasn't getting the same amount of view time as white creators were getting and they weren't even the creators of the dance Mm -hmm. and that algorithm is concerning and it makes me want to know more about these algorithms of oppression so shout out read the book algorithms of oppression it's phenomenal Mm -hmm. um you guys race after technology ruha benjamin that read those um texts that you can understand (laughs) yes citations if I have to 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 rip off what Kayla was saying, how she talked about like theft is such a huge danger. Like as we know, this is something that we've known about black culture forever, is that black culture is desirable and entertaining and interesting, um, you know, separated from, you know, the physicality of our blackness, just like those TikTok dances went viral when white bodies performed mm-hmm. them. Like you you can see the same thing. Like, um, there's there's a documented history of like the Kardashians, you know, for their businesses and in their products, they directly um, they directly steal the work of of black um, fashion designers and makeup artists and hairstylists online and have actually lost several lawsuits because they they copied their work, you know, thread for thread, strand for strand. Like there's so there's so much just casual theft or even the way that. Um, there's this idea that using AAVE, African-American vernacular English, is part of, you know, just online speak. This is just how you speak when you're on Twitter. This is just how, you know, stand, stand culture mm-hmm. and all those things. Um, you know, digital blackface using Black people in reaction images um, as a kind of a form of, you know, using using Black people to demonstrate exaggerated emotions, um, stealing Black language and butchering it. Um just there's so many aspects of it but I think the cultural I think that the digital space in some ways kind of can accelerate that cultural theft that black people are always dealing with absolutely and I just think about um the whole host of rights that we do give up to work and things that we post online thinking about you know the sort of intellectual property layer of it you know creators are producing really amazing groundbreaking work that's really entertaining and fun and interesting and educational. And, you know, that's why it goes viral constantly. And that's why it's a part of this overall sort of internet language. But there's also a lot of restrictions that platforms put on users or put on creators in particular that sort of gives up some of the rights that they have to their work. Like for instance, There's a lot of controversy because it's recently been brought to more light that photographers that post work on Instagram Mm -hmm. only have like limit the scope of their rights to that image. 
And it's really interesting to think about how social media on one hand is this like amazing platform to get the word out in in a lot of ways, you know, our work does go to benefit these companies ultimately. And it's interesting to think about how Mm. that happens on an international stage. So what would you all's feeds, this is kind of like a random trivia question, but I'm honestly really curious if your feed one day like randomly had no black creators on it, like all of the people that you follow that you enjoy weren't there, you know, like what would be left? What do black creators really bring to your feed individually, you think? Blackness? (laughs) I mean, I think that black creators on my timeline are always just so on top of it and are so innovative like there's just constantly something that is hilarious or thought-provoking or brilliant or just well done showing up on my timeline from a brat from a black creator like we we are always on it i feel that my now being you know in the house um with you know everything that's happening i think that you know, if black creators disappear from my timeline, I would, I would be, I would be very, very sad. Mm-hmm. I have to echo Princess's sentiments. Um, honestly, everyone I follow is black. I don't. I mean, there are a few people who are people of color, but I don't see any. See, I'm a CS, so I have to like keep an eye on my industry. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm in the field of international affairs <laughs> and of course I do have um, some colleagues who are of different um, identities and ethnicities and races but they don't follow like my personal page so mm. I think for me like creators as a consumer <laughs> I'm intentional about what I'm consuming because what I consume that's the beauty of about black creators it's um, it's soulful um, it's soul food excuse me and it allows me to digest content that has me in mind, if that makes sense. And that's my priority as a consumer, as a black mm-hmm. consumer, as a black woman consumer. We make that clear. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> so thinking about that, I'm really curious to hear who are some of you all's favorite black girls that you follow online on whatever platform it may be. Um, and why I follow I follow a lot of black women online so it's it's it like having to name off the top of my head is like oh my goodness who am I gonna pick but I have to if I have to you know constrain myself to three right now um I would first definitely name um Trudy um that's what she goes by online she recently deleted her twitter but her work is available on her um on her patreon and her handle is the truds so T-H-E-T-R-U-D-Z T-R-U-D-Z um, and her work for she's been she's been online for a very long time um, just kind of theorizing around womanism around being a black woman in digital space um, and all the intersections of those experiences um, and her work her body of work is incredible and has really changed the the um, she was one of the the co-inventors of like the term misogynoir. So her work has really been impactful online and offline. Um, yeah, my second one would be Car- 
Quakisha Kent, which I Absolutely. feel like um, she she's a more a recent addition to the digital space in the past, at least as I know, in the past four or five years or so. But she's a journalist um, who is just has a very depth understanding of of um, just every facet of Black womanhood. Um, and how it connects to what's happening at the time. Like she's the type of person where you'll see something that is connected to black women go down online and she will have a whole in-depth article with citations that is just hilarious. Like out, if not <laughs> like that evening, the next day, like that's how fast she is. Um, her work is also incredible and so multifaceted. And then she's just, she's hilarious on Twitter. She's just hilarious. Um, and then the last one, so, you know, one of my favorite podcasts to listen to is The Read. Um, that's probably one of my favorite expressions of Latin digital space right now. Um, yeah, and the the Black woman. Definitely. Right, exactly. Right, exactly. Um, they, I should listen to that before whole thing I, is incredible. we recorded but, this. Um, the, one of the hosts on the show is a Black woman named Crystal, and she's just, her, her, her assessment um, of the world and her ability to, you know, unflinchingly articulate um injustice and hypocrisy and just kind of address all of whatever is happening is just unmatched and her laugh is also incredible too i just love i love it when just, mm -hmm. just like kid fury is talking she just like breaks out <laughs> into like laughter. like i can't even explain it Big I shout totally out. I, I love Crystal. <laughs> um, honestly, I'm in conversation with Princess's fave um, Black creators, but to make it a little more local, I do want to shout out some of my fave AUC Black creators. Um, one of them Later. is London. Please check out her Instagram page. It's ldn.jpg. She does amazing things. The next one, Ariana Valbrun. I hope I'm not mispronouncing your name, my good sis, but her crochet technique is out of the wazoo. Let's mm -hmm. talk about versatility. Let's talk Let about talent. You, baby girl got range. Shout out to you. Um, <laughs> she's phenomenal. Yeah. If you were on campus while she was, I think she just graduated. If you were oh, on no, campus. She's in our class. Oh, great. Cool. Okay. Awesome. I was going to say, I didn't know whether or not she just graduated because, you know, you know, just being on camp, being on Spellman's campus, you know, as she moves through our space is a moment in time because she serves it every single day without fail. Without fail. And it, she just looks so fantabulous. <laughs> and the last person is Ayo Abigail. Um, yes. The model, yes. how she uses her body. It's, Tyra wishes totally she could agree. and I said it Tyra wishes she could Ayo you're on your way to some <gasps> Naomi Campbell like quality like if you look at her page the quality the aesthetics she has vision so she can she's a, she's a creator and a model to get mm -hmm. one in both vision out of this world so shout out to those three no, I totally agree. There are some really awesome AUC creators that are some of the most frequently interactive mm -hmm. people on my account, as Instagram has told me. So shout out to them. I think some of my favorite Black girls online, I have two, and I'm glad we did match so we can highlight some more, some more talent. But the first person is her Instagram account is Flex Mommy. And so it's Flex dot slash period m-a-m-i 
<laughs> and she is everything to me <laughs> I don't know she just she's very like entrepreneurial but she's always doing like fun DIYs she has like an introspective card game that she created that I really need to get like I need more time to reflect while we're locked up she's so talented she has so much like beautiful colorful content and fun outfits it's just her life is fun to see. And so shout out to her. Everyone go follow her. And she also mm-hmm. has a podcast she's on called Bobo and Flex. So go listen. And another AUC creative yes, that I, I love, love Lindsay. to see is Lindsay. She's also in our class, Kayla. But <laughs> absolutely. Um, Janet Jackson actually recently reposted her work in which she was highlighting some work for the Black Lives Matter mm-hmm. movement that wonderfully has some new energy right now and her instagram at is lynn's art life l-i-n-d-s art life i trust you to spell that and she's just a really talented artist in our class in the auc i love her work she's super talented she works in a lot of like really interesting styles so for ariana who is a crochet giving face giving body giving looks um just she's so fierce her at is a-r-i-a-n-n-a-v-a-l-b-r-u-n and for our next top model the real next top model ayo (laughs) hers is at a-y-o-a-b-i-g-a-i-l follow Mm -hmm. all of these creatives that we um mentioned they're going far they're setting the tone and they are in conversation with us So as you all can hear clearly, (laughs) Black Girls in Digital Spaces give us everything and we deserve it. And open up your purse while you're at it. So please go follow everyone we just Not only donate to other things that are out right now, but donate to our Black Black creators. creators. I couldn't say better than that. Support Black creators. I know some of their commissions might be closed, but when they open back up, you better open your purse back up too. Mm-hmm. please do amen <laughs> well as we get ready to sign off from the blue record family we just want to continue to encourage and salute your agency your advocacy in these unknown times to the protesters to the organizers to those who are at home sending resources signing petitions, donating to bail funds. We salute you. We see you. We love you. Continue the work. Continue to be in conversation in justice work. As an organization, the Blue Record has made a donation to the Atlanta Bail Fund for hashtag justice for George Floyd protesters, as well as donations to the, um, the ATL Bail Fund, as well as a fund for our AUC siblings, Messiah and Tanaya, who were um, assaulted by the Atlanta police. And we call upon other student organizations as well as anyone who may be listening to us to contribute to these funds as an act of solidarity for those on the front lines in our country and also in the world. Um, As we're seeing around the world, there is a mobilization for Blackness, there's a mobilization for justice. Let that movement not lose its momentum. This is only the beginning of the end of a long 
antiquated era. And my hope is that we will all be there on the other side to see what changes are coming for the world, what sustainable changes are coming. And with that being said, continue to sign petitions. If you go to the Blue Records Instagram and Twitter page, which is at the Blue Record, you will find a link to bail funds. Check out our recent post on beloved community. And also check out our Black creators who we mentioned. Some of them are sharing um, important information so that you can get involved, um, be in conversation, and be aware of what's happening in the community. And if you aren't already doing so, please follow our socials. We are on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. Yes, we are. Stay connected with us, The Blue Record. Our at is at The Blue Record. And you can Google us. We are The Blue Record Podcast. And until next time, be safe, be healthy. And again, we salute your agency. Shout out to the protesters. Shout out to the organizers. Be blessed. Bye, y'all.